So for all of you who were here last week, we were talking about, we were looking at select scriptures, and we were talking about this idea that all lives matter. Now the world will tell you that they can pick and choose which lives matter. Which race matters, which color matters, which nationality matters. But we saw is that God has a different view in mind. He says it doesn't matter about all those things. All lives matter. And if all lives matter to God, then all lives ma should matter to me, right? To us. It should matter to us. And last week we looked at three different areas that kind of encompass everybody's lives at some point. We looked at the anticipated life. That baby in the womb, whether it makes it out or not, that life is, a, is an anticipated life. God cares about that life. God cares about the active life. That's the life that all of you today are living right now. You got yourself dressed. You came to church. You're able to sit and listen. You count as the active life. But God also cares about the aging life. The, the person who's already lived their life and is just waiting to die. Or the person who is incapable of doing much more than just living because of circumstances. Today we're going back to the book of Ephesians, where we've been for several weeks or months. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 28. And we're continuing this idea of what does the old man look like and how we should look like the new man. So from this point on, remember, uh, what time was it? 11-22, January 15th. We were all here in Plevna, 2023. And we said, from this point on, I'm no longer going to live like the old man does. I'm going to live like the new man. I'm not going to live like the man who does not have hope in Jesus. I'm going to live like the man who has hope in Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at a couple different areas where this starts to show up. Let me read this passage for you please Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 to 28 therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we are all members of one body in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold he who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need Let's pray. Father God, once again we come to you in your house looking at your word and asking for your help to understand this. For your help to, I ask for your help to be able to share this uh, so that it makes sense, so that it comes out as you would have it to be said. I pray that God you give us the ability to focus on your message that you want us to take home with us today. I just pray that this all comes out for your glory and for our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first truth we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at several different examples, possibly ways that encompass everything that's going to, just going to show our life affected if we are walking with Jesus instead of walking as the old man. The first one is to tell the truth. Uh, chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So somebody tell me, who is that up on the screen? Pinocchio. Pinocchio was a wooden doll, you know, a marionette puppet. And I think the, the guy who created him was named Gil, Giletto. What is it? Geppetto? Okay, Geppetto. And he wants to have this, he wants to have his own little boy. He, he wishes somehow this fairy comes and makes... 
Pinocchio a live puppet. He's still wooden, but he's alive. And Pinocchio has a very unique life. Uh, because he's a puppet that gets to respond and act like a real boy. But Pinocchio also has a real big problem. What is his problem? He's lying. But it's not just the fact that he's lying that's his problem. The problem is every time he lies, that nose starts to grow. Right? And it's very obvious to everybody who understands what's going on that he is lying every time he's lying. Now, how many of you would like to, to say, I'd like that to be the real world? For everybody else. <laughs> everybody else. Because sometimes we can be fooled. I, I can lie possibly very convincing and you don't know it. But if every time my news grow, my nose grew, you would be able to tell. That would be awesome. For everybody else. <laughs> Paul tells the, his, the, the, the people to put off falsehood. It means to stop oneself, to cease, to put away. It's a choice that he's telling these people you have to make in order to do this. This, this idea of telling the truth, of not lying, is nothing new. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We've all, whenever we talk about sin examples, what do we say? Did you lie? Did you steal? Did you cheat? Right? We, we know this idea of lying. And the people back then, they struggled with it just as much as we do today. They might have had different lives, but I'm sure the same reasonings for lying as we have today were very common back then. When I think about the number one reason why people lie, correct me if I'm wrong, but the number one people, reason people lie is to stay out of trouble. Right? Is that what the first thing that comes to your mind? That's why I lie, is to stay out of trouble. Think about kids. Mom and dad leave the house. They say, hey, get along. Do not wrestle. And what do you know? What do boys do when mom and dad are away? They wrestle. And while they're wrestling, that lamp gets knocked over and it gets broken. Whoops. What am I going to do? It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. I didn't have anything to do with this. Very simple as a kid, in order to stay out of trouble, to lie. And it goes from generation, it goes every age, it doesn't matter, you don't have to teach people to do this, it's just something that people do. Sometimes people lie in order to avoid a conflict. I really don't want to tell someone their food doesn't taste good. I really, I really don't want to tell somebody that um, they shouldn't sing a special, because it really doesn't sound good. I, I know you'd all tell me, right? Yeah. So, in order to avoid a conflict, I'm going to lie. Um, you know, sometimes to gain something, I might lie in order to gain something. Have you ever had found yourself in a situation where uh, you had a bill collector or somebody's calling saying, hey, this bill's due late. Uh, you're late in paying this bill. And what do you want to do? You, you realize the bill is there. You didn't mean not to pay, but you say, I never got the bill. And what do you get out of that? Sometimes you get grace. The guy on the other side of the line doesn't know you didn't get the bill. Uh, he may extend out that time period in order for you to turn that in. But just the same, you're lying, but in order to get something. And I'm sure there's lots more examples that we can come up with. But you, don't, you all understand the, the problem with lying. Besides that it's wrong, is that usually when you lie once... You got to lie again, and you got to lie again in order to cover your tracks for that first lie that you told, and it just snowballs and it's just getting worse. But you know, sometimes people lie and they get away with it, right? There are people who are good liars. They look at you straight in the eye and they get away with it, and you never know. But I, I uh, came across this idea that it's really true. 
The truth is still the truth, even if you lie and get away with it. If I lie and say I didn't get that bill when I really did, I've convinced the other person on the other side of the phone that I never got it. So to them, I'm telling the truth, but that I'm lying. The truth is still the truth. I still had the bill. And so the truth does not change. The truth stays the same. And Paul is telling them, you've got to stop lying to each other. Now, why is it hard to tell the truth? Well, I just gave you a couple of different reasons. Because it might get you into trouble. If I tell mom and dad that, yes, I was wrestling and I broke the lamp, I might get in trouble for that. If I, I, might, if I tell someone they shouldn't sing that song in church, I might get into a conflict with them. If I tell the bill collector, whatever it is, I might be kept from having something that I want if I tell the truth. It can be a bad thing, but ultimately, the truth is still the truth. It doesn't change. And Paul is reminding these readers that they need to tell the truth to their neighbors, to those, to mankind in general, but also it gets a little bit more personal. A little bit, you think about, just everybody go like this. Look around, who's here in church today, right? You look at all these people, Paul would say, don't lie to each other inside the church building. When you're out there and you say, this is a brother or sister in Christ, don't lie to that person. Don't, don't mislead them. Don't make them think something that isn't true. He says to tell the truth. He says we are all members of one body. We should have the kind of confidence in each other uh, that, that I find in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 36 and 37. This is when Jesus is talking to the people. He says, Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Obviously, you can dye it, but you can't really change it. He says, Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. I shouldn't have to say, I promise I didn't break the lamp. I promise I didn't get the bill. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on it. No. It should be, it should be so true that I would go to the death for you. If you told me you didn't do something, I could go to the death believing that you didn't do it. That I'd be willing to die for the fact that, to prove that I believe so strongly that you didn't do it. That's what it should be for each other. So if you say that you didn't do it, I can say, you know what, I have 100% confidence you didn't do it. There's no doubt in my mind that you didn't do it. When you said you were going to show up and you didn't, I have no doubt in my mind that there was something out of your control keeping you from showing up. You know, I, I know people I'm not saying in here. I'm just, I just, I know people and I know church people who say they're going to do something. I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up and they don't. And I don't, at the moment, I, I trust they have a good reason. But as time goes on, I find out that uh, Leslie has a friend like this. Nice, nice gal, but she, she says in advance when, when there's something coming up that she doesn't want to do, I think I'm going to have a headache that day. Right? What is that called? It's a lie. And for, this, for years upon years, you could say, I believe this woman. But now I'm like, wait a second. 
That's not what it should be. If I say I'm going to do something, I should do it. If I don't want to, I say I'm not going to be there. Just state the truth, whatever it is. But the reason I give should be as true as the gospel. I should be looking at you, and you looking at each other, and you looking at me, should be able to say the truth. I'm not lying to you. I'm not misleading you. I'm not making you think something that's not true. Whether you like it or not, you state the truth. Whether I like it or not, that's what I should be doing, is to state the truth. Very basic. We use it in a wand. I know we could, all these all these um, things we're going to be looking, we could just read them and say, I understand what it means to lie. I understand what it means to get angry. I understand what it means to steal. But I feel like it's still important to recognize we are all human. Even as adults, we're just grown-up kids. We have the same tendencies, or we find ourselves in a position where we are tempted to do the same thing. And we have to decide, no, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to mislead you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Number two is show self-control. Now, how many kids, how many people under the age of 20 know who this is? Right? I, maybe not. But all you adults, probably, this is Yosemite Sam. He's always, he's always mad. He's always chasing Bugs Bunny. He's always doing whatever it takes. And he's always angry at him. Right? So this is, we're, we're look, we have this picture to remind us to show self-control. Uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. He says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Obviously, that's easier said than done. Right? We all know this verse. We can quote this verse. We can, we can repeat it to each other when we're fighting in the middle of the night. But it doesn't make it easy to do. <laughs> anger is a strong emotional reaction of displeasure often leading to plans for revenge or punishment. That's what a, a Bible dictionary puts it as. But the fact is, you are going to be angry at some point in life. Maybe today you're angry. Maybe this morning was not a pleasant day to get to ready for church. In my house it was. Usually on Sunday morning, I'll tell you, that's the worst day of the week to not be frustrated in the morning. Today was, that, was a good day. I made sure of it because I was going to get up here and say this. But... <laughs> But you might be angry right now because of what your morning looked like. You might be, get angry at God this week because he doesn't answer the prayer the way that you want. You might get angry at the, the government because of the way they spend their money. You might be angry at your boss because he makes you stay late. Your parents because they won't let you go X, Y, Z and do what you want. You might be angry at your spouse this week or your kids. I mean, there's any number of things can set you off and make you feel upset, right? It is a normal human response to, to experience anger. You know, Jesus felt angry too. For Jesus, it was a little bit different because his, his was, was, it was a righteous anger. And he didn't just sit there and steam and get mad. He actually did something about it. He went into the temple and he's tipping over money changing tables. And animals are scattering and people are trying to pick up all the coins. And, and Jesus isn't whistling. Whew, I'm having a good time. We're just tipping these things over in church. He's mad. He's frustrated. This is God's house. He says, this is a place of prayer. This should not be happening in my father's house. 
He, he had a righteous anger. And it is okay to have a righteous anger. It is okay to be angry when you hear about somebody getting abused. You don't just say, oh, I can't, I can't be angry, so I'm just going to stay calm and act like this doesn't bother me. No, be angry over things like that. Be angry when laws go into effect that contradict God's word. That shouldn't make you happy. It shouldn't be like, oh, well, that's just... We're just submitting to authority. Get mad about that. When you hear gossip and slander in our church or about people in your, our church or whatever, it is okay to be angry about those things because those are not good things to be taking place. It's not that you get mad. It's how you handle it. It doesn't say that it's wrong to be angry. It says in your anger, because I know you're going to get angry, do not sin. Now, how do people respond when they get angry. Anybody want to come up here and explain how, what you do when you get mad? Because I'm going to have to do that here in just a second. <laughs> you know, some people respond with unwholesome talk. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up in accordance with their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Some people, when they get mad, they just let whatever colored letter word fly out of their mouth because they're upset. I, I'm going to blow up in your face because that's how I feel. That's how I'm letting, taking care of my anger. I might gossip about you. I might slander uh, Say a bunch of hurtful things, right? Has anybody ever experienced that? Right, yeah. Has anybody ever done that? Okay, no? Yes, okay. Um, but that's how some people respond, is they're just going to let you have it. Some people, when they get mad, they do something physical. Some people will start fighting because they're, the, the only thing they can think to do is to punch or to throw something. Like they take their cell phone <laughs> and they throw on the floor and it's supposed to stay there but it bounces up and hits the TV and breaks the TV so when you turn it on you got this funky looking line and nothing works okay so that's what some people do I saw the whole thing <laughs> yeah nice huh some people, they don't do anything at all, okay? They don't, they don't scream and yell. They don't throw their cell phones. They don't fight. Um, but they, they, they try to handle it differently. There's no outward sign. It's all up here. Everything that's going on wrong in their anger is happening upstairs. And 1 John 3.15 says, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I don't have to punch you. I don't have to yell at you. But I can think whatever I want upstairs. And that could be causing me to sin. Sometimes people just ignore people. I'm mad at you. And I'm going to ignore you for weeks upon weeks. Uh, I'm going to avoid you. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, it says, if, you're, if you come to church and you have an offering that you want to give to the Lord and you know that somebody has something against you, what do you need to do? He says, wait, don't give that offering. It's not really going to benefit anything. Go and make it right with that person. Right? So if we're being commanded in Scripture to go and make it right and we don't do it, we are causing ourselves to sin. So we can look really good, but we can cause ourselves to sin. That's, that's three different ways that you can sin while you are in anger. But what we see is how to have, how to have a right, righteous anger. 
is, is not by throwing things, it's not by the absence of being upset, but it's, it's hating the sin, it's loving the sinner. I hate that, that, that the, the school principal did this. I hate that my parent did this. I hate that my boss did this. Whatever it is that's wrong, but I'm still going to show love to that person because that's what Jesus did for us. He hates our sin, but he still shows love to us. And this is not an easy thing to do. It's, it's also, it's very difficult to do. <clears throat> but it's important that we handle our anger well because it is going to come again and again. Now, most people, if you look at this verse, it talks about, uh, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. You know, most of us have heard that verse, and I've, I've, we said it at each other in frustration, and usually fight when it's bedtime. It's late at night, you're tired, the sun's already gone down, and you're like, I just want to be done, I'll deal with it in the morning. But there's, there's a good... Uh, application of this or that a lot of people when they look at this verse they say don't go to bed mad right anybody ever hear that your spouse tells you that i don't like this verse i hate this verse i just want to sleep on it and deal with it later but he says don't go to uh so don't let the sun go down where you're angry meaning deal with this as quickly as you can if you can get it done in that day, that's great. And if you're like me, you think about this verse in terms of a marriage relationship. That's the only way I've ever thought about this verse is fighting with Leslie. But in thinking about this and saying, how does this relate to everybody? I got to thinking, you know what? Sometimes me and my son or both my sons or one of my sons could do the same thing. We could go to bed angry at each other. That's not right. But it, and, and so that means I got to have a conversation with my son in order to make it right. But think about it even at a harder, this, the hardest way, I think, would be think about somebody in this church that you're mad at. You're angry at them. How many times is it, do we just say, I'll deal with it later. I'll ignore it. I don't, I don't make it right that day. So if I'm, Paul's not writing to married couples. He's not writing just to a family unit. He's writing to people as a whole and saying, if you got, you're, you're mad at your brother in this church, you shouldn't go to bed angry. You should make it right with that person as quickly as possible. And that's not something typically we do. How many people ignore each other for weeks upon weeks, months upon months, years upon years, and, or they leave the church because they're angry? How many people do you know that have left the church angry at some Somebody in this building. All that does is give this devil a great big foothold. It gives him a great big opening in order to affect our lives. It's it's an opportunity, an occasion for acting. The devil wants to in, uh, affect your thinking. He wants to influence your decisions. I don't need that. Right? I have enough problems on my own. I don't need to open up the door and say, Hey, devil, why don't you come in and make my life a little bit worse? But there's a lot of people who do that because they don't take care of that problem in a timely manner. They go months, years, decades, and that the devil just gets in there and says, You're right because you feel that way. Yes, that person did wrong you. You should tell everybody else how bad Plevna Church is. You should tell everybody else what your in-laws did to you or your brother did to you or anything like that. And you're giving this devil a wide open opportunity to, to get into your life and screw things up. We don't need help from the devil to do that. We have enough problems on our own. So you are going to get angry. 
And hopefully not today. But you're going to get angry, and I want to encourage you, deal with it in a timely manner. Have that difficult conversation. Do what it takes to do, at least as far as it depends on you, to live at peace with those around you. Number three, Robin Hood. Okay, we're going to give instead of take. Chapter 4, verse 28, it says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So, I hope all the kids, they probably know who Robin Hood is, right? He stole from the rich to give to the poor, right? And, and he's, he looks like a happy guy. He's got great intentions. He's, he's, he looks like he's everybody's hero, right? But that, I don't know if that necessarily makes it right just because you're taking it from the bad guys and giving it to the good guys. I'm not going to get into that debate, but you get the idea that this guy is taking something that doesn't belong to him. And it's real easy to rationalize, what am I doing? Why am I taking something? They're not going to miss it. It wasn't theirs in the first place. I don't know. But Robin Hood is the guy who, I, who came to mind when I think of somebody who's, who's taking, he's stealing. And so that's why his picture's up there. But I think most people wouldn't think about themselves as a thief. Right? You don't walk around thinking that I'm, I'm going to go rob something. Usually it's, an op, it's uh, a crime of opportunity. I have this need. I see an instant solution. I'm going to do it. It's not something that you necessarily set out to do, but, you know, in the Ephesian culture, it was something that wasn't really that big a deal. You know, it's something that everybody did. And as the unsaved world, as long as you're not stealing from me, I don't care if you steal from somebody else. Just don't steal from me, right? And they might even say, wow, that was cool. That bank job that you pulled off, I can't believe that you were able to do that. How did you, and you, you just see the, it glamorized and glorified and things like that. But as long as you're not stealing from me, knock yourself out. And Paul's saying, you guys got to stop living like you did as the old man. You've got to start living like the new man where you don't steal anymore. You can steal by taking something that doesn't belong to you. You know, I go to the store, go to Walmart. I can shove it in my pocket somehow. I haven't done this. <laughs> but I stick it in my pocket and I leave. Right? And people get away with it. Uh, you can steal office supplies from work. Oh, there's lots of pens and pencils. There's lots of extra paper. There's lots of stamps. Whatever it is, it, it's easy to take those things because they're not big and noticeable. Uh, some people, it's easy. You go to their house and you take their stuff, right? There's just, there's, that's the physically taking something that doesn't belong to us. You can steal other ways, though. You can steal by turning in hours for work that you didn't actually get done. Say it took me 10 hours, but it only took me 8 hours. Now, when I was a kid, uh, there was I got a job this way. There was a, a kid that I didn't know that was working for a doctor on a sheep ranch, or sheep farm, whatever you call it. And he, he would go to work every day, go out in the barn, and he would, when he was done, he turned in his hours to his boss. The boss started wondering, how come things are not getting done? So he went and talked to the kid and found out that the kid was doing his homework, and turning in hours for, for being there on the property and turning in his homework. And the boss fired him, and that's how I got the job. But it's easy to say it took me X amount of hours when it only took me this, and it's still called stealing. Uh, not giving accurate records to the IRS. Uh, when Leslie was working as a barista, making very good coffee, uh, she, she'd get like 25 to $30 of tips a day. That's pretty good, you know, for like four to six hours. And there was, it was really amazing, though, because she was the only person that was getting tips. 
Everybody else got like two or three dollars for their shift, but she got twenty or thirty dollars a shift. Isn't that impressive? She should be making coffee and not working at the school. What she found was that everybody else was writing down two or three dollars. They probably got a lot more because there are certain ways to get more tips, if you get what I'm saying. And they were doing whatever it took to get those tips, and she didn't. And so they were, and there was even a sister in Christ who was doing this. And Leslie said, you know what, this isn't exactly accurate. And so the gal started hiding it so she could still keep writing two or three dollars of tips a day. And so you can steal all sorts of ways. From people, from the government, from the office, whatever it is. And Paul says, don't do that. It's not yours. Hands off. Don't take. Don't touch. You know, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work hard with your own hands, just as we told you. Paul says, don't. Don't be taking something that doesn't belong to you. Do something useful with your hands so that you can actually give to somebody else something that they need instead. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. We all know that. That's very biblical. It's in the scriptures. But it's better to be able to give instead of take something that we don't need. Our theme verse for this, the whole book, uh, I want to read for you uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have gained eternal life by putting your trust in Jesus as your Savior. Make it match up. Think about the scale. This is how much God loves me. My actions should be changing that much as if I could balance out the scale with how much love He has with what I'm doing. I'm not earning my salvation. I'm not repaying my salvation. But I should be reflecting that salvation. So, today we looked at no more lying, no more falsehoods. You need to speak the truth. No more outbursts of anger. You're going to get angry, but handle it the right way. And no more taking something that doesn't belong to you, but rather do something useful with your hands. From this point on, you know, this, this quote I came across by C.S. Lewis, and this is good to remember, okay? Because you might look over your past life and say, I was the liar, I was that angry person, I was that thief. Oh, well, you confess it and move on. He says, C.S. Lewis says, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. And so I just encourage you to keep those words in mind as you move forward that, you know, from this point on, I'm going to be a new man. I'm going to live differently than I have before. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, God, because I don't deserve all the chances that I've gotten. God, you know that I have had outbursts of anger. You know, God, that I've done other things that haven't honored and pleased you. But God, you're still forgiving. You're still uh, my Savior because I put my trust in you for salvation. And I thank you, God, for all the... Uh, fresh mercy that you give to me day after day. I pray that God from this point on that I would be even more different than I have tried to been over the past years. Just please help me to to do an even better job. I pray for anybody in here that might be saying, hey, I'm going to work on this as well, that you would just give them the ability to remember your truth. Remember that from this point on I'm going to be a new man and live like a new man. I pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.